Chapter four, section five of the Greek view of life by Goldsworthy Lowes Dickinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Chapter four, section five. Poetry. If now, as we have seen in the plastic arts, and in an art which appears to us so pure as music, the Greeks perceived and valued, along with the immediate pleasure of beauty, a definite ethical character and bent, much more was this the case with poetry, whose material is conceptions and ideas. The works of the poets, and especially of Homer, were in fact to the Greeks all that moral treatises are to us. Or rather, instead of learning their lessons in abstract terms, they learnt them out of the concrete representation of life. Poetry was the basis of their education, the guide and commentary of their practice the inspiration of their speculative thought. If they have a proposition to advance, they must back it by a citation. If they have a counsel to offer, they must prop it up with a verse. Not only for delight, but for inspiration, warning and example, they were steeped from childhood onwards in an ocean of melodious discourse. Their national epics were to them what the Bible was to the Puritans, and for every conjunction of fortune, for every issue of home or state, they found therein a text to prompt or reinforce their decision. Of this importance of poetry in the life of ancient Greece, and generally of the importance of music and art, the following passage from Plato is a striking illustration. When the boy has learned his letters, and is beginning to understand what is written, as before he understood only what was spoken, they put into his hands the works of the great poets, which he reads at school. In these are contained many admonitions, and many tales, and praises, and encomia of ancient famous men, which he is required to learn by heart, in order that he may imitate or emulate them, and desire to become like them. Then again the teachers of the lyre take similar care that their young disciple is temperate, and gets into no mischief, and when they have taught him the use of the lyre, they introduce him to the poems of other excellent poets, who are the lyric poets, and these they set to music, and make their harmonies and rhythms quite familiar to the children's souls, in order that they may learn to be more gentle and harmonious and rhythmical and so more fitted for speech and action. For the life of man, in every part, has need of harmony and rhythm. 
from this conception of poetry as a storehouse of practical wisdom the transition is easy to a purely ethical judgment of its value and that transition as has already been noted was actually made by plato who even goes so far as to prescribe to poets the direct inculcation of such morals as are proper to attract as that the good and just man is happy even though he be poor and the bad and unjust man miserable even though he be rich this didacticism no doubt is a parody but it is a parody of the normal greek view that the excellence of a poem is closely bound up with the compass and depth of its whole ethical content and is not to be measured as many moderns maintain merely by the aesthetic beauty of its form when strabo says it is impossible to be a good poet unless you are first a good man he is expressing the common opinion of the greeks that the poet is to be judged not merely as an artist but as an interpreter of life and the same presupposition underlies the remark of aristotle that poets may be classified according as the characters they represent are as good as better or worse than the average man but perhaps the most remarkable illustration of this way of regarding poetry is the passage in the frogs of aristophanes where the comedian has introduced a controversy between aeschylus and euripides as to the relative merit of their works and has made the decision turn almost entirely on moral considerations the question being really whether or no euripides is to be regarded as a corrupter of his countrymen in the course of the discussion aeschylus is made to give expression to a view of poetry which clearly enough aristophanes endorses himself and which no doubt would be accepted by the majority of his audience he appeals to all antiquity to show that poets have always been the instructors of mankind and that it is for this that they are held in honour look to traditional history look to antiquity primitive early remote see there what a blessing illustrious poets conferred on mankind in the centuries past orpheus instructed mankind in religion reclaimed them from bloodshed and barbarous rites Musaeus delivered the doctrine of medicine and warnings prophetic for ages to come next came old hesiod teaching us husbandry ploughing and sowing and rural affairs rural economy rural astronomy homely morality labour and thrift homer himself our adorable homer what was his title to praise and renown 
what but the worth of the lessons he taught us discipline arms and equipment of war while then there is as we should naturally expect plenty of greek poetry which is simply the spontaneous expression of passionate feeling unrestrained by the consideration of ethical or other ends yet if we take for our type as we are fairly entitled to do from the prominent place it held in greek life not the lyrics but the drama of greece we shall find that in poetry even as was to be expected to a higher degree than in music and the plastic arts the beauty sought and achieved is one that lies within the limits of certain definite moral presuppositions let us consider this point in some detail and first let us examine the character of greek tragedy End of chapter four, section five. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey.